Welcome to the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Podcast, where we help urologists and staff achieve peak economic and practice efficiency so there is time and energy to focus on patient care and a happy life. I'm your host, Scott Painter, with my co-hosts, Mark Painter and Dr. Ray Painter. Hello and welcome to episode 12 of the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Painter, with my co-host, Mark Painter, and today we're talking with Larry Kemp. He's one of our team members and uh, one of the partners of PRS Consulting LLC, and he's done a lot of work uh, speaking out nationally for us and with us, and we he does uh, one of our main speakers at the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Seminar. And Larry, uh, would you like to, we, we welcome you, and would you like to tell us a little bit more about yourself, and, uh, and we'll get started, and Mark will take over the interview. All right, Scott, thanks for having me join you today. As always, it's a pleasure. Uh, again, my uh, CV, my sort of bio is on, on our website, uh, prs.com. Just please take a peek at it. We'll do a suspense with the alphabets. But fundamentally, I've been in healthcare now for 25 plus years, both on the hospital side as well as the practice side. Uh, my background is in operations and finance and management. And as, as uh, Mark, Mark, Mark knows and you do, we spend a lot of time on the road working with groups around the country partnering with them and getting to see what's working and what's not around the country. And more importantly, we see what is uniquely workable and what's not working. So I think we can bring a lot of skills to the table, uh, particularly with some of the issues for uh, getting the uh, actual protocols and policies and front end pieces. We're working within the uh, group. Again, that's where we're seeing a lot of the core issues for the uh, accounts receivables and cash flow. Great. And Larry, you and I have you and I have done a lot of work over the years together. And um, one of the things that that we've found as we've moved back and forth are um, basically issues that focus on uh, shortcomings within the, the front desk. Um, can you tell us, you know, kind of what we would do or what you would do uh, in analyzing the practice to identify uh, some of those problems that might be uh, attributable to the first step to the front desk. Okay, Mark, that's a very good question to to set the stage. Uh, one of the one of the things is you know we'll do conference calls uh, with with the practice long before we visit. We'll do an analysis of key practice reports, practice manager reports, and essentially do the analytics and find out what's causing some of their key key issues. But a recurring theme, regardless, uh, is uh, or business practices with the pre-service and point of services. I mean, that's a lot of times, if you can put some things together in that, they'll work better. If you're having problems with your cash flow and AR, a lot of those are gonna be in your pre-services and your point of services. So if you can take a good snack with those things, whether they're protocols, your collection processes, you're gonna find most of your issues are gonna be within that arena to start with. The other thing I will add is, you know, we'll find one core problem that may be cash flow, but the driver, the objectively causes for a lot of these are going to be multifaceted and not driven just by one, one issue. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that, you know, as, as, as we've gone back and forth, some of the couple of things that you've pointed out to me that we look at are when, when you get a bit, you know, an AR, how much is in the patient and how much of that are co-pays, how much, you know, how much of that comes from patients that are coming back through the door now, those are our front desk potential collection points that are not being done. Um, 
that and and then of course no you know identifying things that aren't being done with pre-certs prior auths demographics all of those things which are identified as front you know typical front desk uh requirements um so yeah i agree i mean it's about looking through those reports and kind of digging through all those 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 uh uh or talking to all those folks uh to kind of get an idea of how things are going Mark, I think that's a great point. Uh, the combination of looking at their own aggregate data, their data management or reports, and having conversations with key staff. To me, part of the team is not just the, the uh, providers, the nurse practitioners, PAs, the uh, urologists, but also to some degree, some of the clinical team, because they'll see things long before the other folks do. They can help diffuse some situations. But getting back to your first question is, if you have good, solid protocols for pre-service, step one. And as you know, uh, we've done this multiple times together when we run into hellacious problems on those. You attack the protocols. You go after the training for staff to halt the poor business practices so that you don't build the AR. At the same time, we'll do recovery actions from your end of going in and getting those things that are over 90 or 120 days to see what's retrievable from the cash put the squeeze on them, if you would. So again, I, I would label that pre-service and point of service protocols. And again, basically these are very, very similar in nature. It's how they're enforced and how they're put into the culture of practice. It uh, becomes whether they're going to win or not. It's consistent. Each place is a little bit different. The recurring themes are the same. Poor communications, very little enforced protocols, and the inability to be con- work together as a team. Yeah, I I, th- I I recall a couple of places where, um, like we identified some pretty big holes up front, um, with and it did it rolled back to communication and protocols that, you know, people weren't collecting copays, for example, you know, getting getting people in the door and trying to collect copays on the back end or, um, you know, make you know not getting demographics incorrectly, and you know those things show up on the AR, like you're saying that looking at that AR, it's uh, it's pretty you know it's it's pretty telling across the board. Mark, you're correct. Uh, the first first thing you'll hit is that you look at the AR, the AR as you just indicated, and we'll go back and say what's causing it. I think one of the weak points that we see in a lot of the practices is they'll look at one issue and figure there's one sustaining problem that's causing it. Generally, there's one core problem, but there's many pieces driving it. And a lot of times they'll overreact and go over and charge one thing when in reality it's, it's multiple pieces. So, you know, it's one of those things you have to pull together, get the team together, start with the protocols, work the AR, getting cash flow to come back in. They wouldn't have invited us in if they didn't have cash flow problems. That's a rule. Yeah. But again, I think you hit the nail on the head at the, uh, those pre-service things, looking at the data and having the time to do the analysis and analytics so you can pinpoint the key drivers of what's causing your core problem. Protocols are right there. Training for the staff is consistent, not, not a one-one shot as we see with our, our uh, annual seminars. We see a lot of people asking a lot of the same things. But they're coming back for refresher training too. This is an ongoing process. Yeah, um, and, uh, and, and typically um, – you know, you've done most of the the training work um, when we do when we do these pro- these programs um, for offices. So, can you just kind of give a general outline of 
of what kind of training you would give to the front staff? Mark, that's another good question, because if you don't have the folks understanding what they're supposed to do, it's difficult to, your expectations are never going to be met. Well, we generally will start with the basics. We'll, we'll sit down like what we'll do a lot of times. You tell me what you're finding on the clinical side. We'll take the stuff on the front office, the protocols, and sit down with the staff in phases and say, here's what we're looking at. Tell me how you're doing this. Here's some suggestions we'd like you to do. Once we kind of get the dialogue going so we, we don't appear we're sticking sticks in someone's eye, then we have a little bit of rapport. Then we can start saying, here's some pieces you need to start looking at. And generally, as you know, we'll break these up into one or two gigs. Do an overview. We'll hit three or four main points. Phase one, phase two, we'll look at three or four more main points. So at the end of the, end of the session, which can take about 30 minutes to an hour, or as you know, sometimes we have a half a day at one of our seminars, we'll do an education that says, here's what's going wrong. Here's how do you fix it. Again, the key is to get the folks to work as a team, understanding that if they don't do something, it's going to show up. So the training is more of a curriculum development about what's important. How do you want to do this? But the key themes are always there. Accountability, doing, doing things in, in order, and taking a back and look at the analytics and doing a check and see what's missing each, each day. Are you looking at denials? Are you looking at no pays? What's not working? Are you collecting your co-pays and co-insurance? What's driving these things? Excellent. And, and, um, and, and I've seen you do um, role-playing. Uh, that, that seems to work. Um, and, and, that's, and that's one of the tools you would employ? Mark, that's another good point. That's one of our most successful tools we use. It's, it's interesting. We, we'll call that interactive role-playing. Well, we'll set up uh, situations which are pretty much things we'll bump into. Obviously, the names will change in a location, but we'll role play what's happening with a patient encounter, uh, checking in or trying to collect copay, and, and the repertoire that the, and the articulation that the staff will use or not using, and use that as a catalyst to help use peer pressure to align the staff and say, you know, that's not a good way to do it. Here's a better way to do it. For instance, we'll, we'll show them how to ask for money. Here's a good example. Instead of saying, uh, do you have your money? We'll smile. Like the flight attendants put their hand out. I'll, I'll take your American Express card, Mr. Kemp. How's your day? I see you have a copay of $90. Thank you very much. Just make it a, an easy as possible for the patients to pay. Make those en encounters successful so they don't cause more problems. You can diffuse a lot of things with a smile. But the role-playing is... Uh, probably one of the most successful things we've encountered with the groups. I've always seen that work like you have because a lot of the folks will realize when they see it in action, yeah, we do those things and we probably need to do better. Great. And now, now you've mentioned a couple of times, you've mentioned a couple of times today um, that, you know, protocols are important. So, I mean, what, what typically, I mean, I think a lot of people, you know, don't understand the roles of protocols and job descriptions and expectations. Can you kind of run through a little bit of why we lean hard on that protocol side? For sure. And that's, that's another very good point. Again, the word protocol, these are our pathways. These are guidance and our policies, how we would do things, uh, which is a good setup because if you bring it, if you have these things for folks to understand, it says, how do we handle a patient calling for an appointment with an outstanding balance? In theory, you would have, for, for example, a protocol saying if the patient has an outstanding balance, we would require 
payment beforehand to balance out the account aligned with any policy that the practice has. Non-urgent, of course, if the patient needs to be seen, that's up to the practice to bring them in. But again, a protocol would say for patients who are not having urgent care and they have an outstanding balance, our, our protocols and policies are that you would complete your balance beforehand outstanding. Second thing is, how do we collect copays? It's our responsibility. Another protocol, we will collect those. How do we collect no-shows? You know, so I've seen some policies have very good effective practice policies that say we have a no-show policy that says if you have two no-shows, we will charge you $50, $25, whatever the numerical is. But at the same time, if it's consistent, they'll have a discussion with you about why you want to be in the practice. Again, these are protocols that help the staff be consistent about what you're looking for in your practice. So it can be any number of things you want to do, but there's four or five. There should be the appointment process, should be no-shows, should be collection of co-pays, prior balances, those type of things. So there's no misunderstanding what's going on. So, and again, there should be something for the management side for a protocol that says, these are some things we want you to be looking at as well as management might pick one day a week for instance, and do a complete audit of every encounter. Number of schedules, say 50, and maybe there's 48 shows where, where two rescheduled or just canceled. And were those looked at, where were they seen, where they provided care, and was a charge entered, was there balances collected? That whole and whole process, and one of the things you, you and I both know, when you do that over a period of time, you will definitely find ways to better enhance your protocols and you'll find things that need improvement in your practice. Excellent. Um, and then what about like um, in, in the overall process, the, the job description and, and really kind of the, the measurement or feedback to those people on a, on a reasonable basis or, a, a, you know, and by reasonable, I mean time period. Uh, I, I think, I, if I understand your question, uh, people's responsibilities or position descriptions. Yeah. Uh, again, we've had this discussion a few times, more than once with the practice leaders. To me, the job descriptions are, again, guidance, what your key responsibilities are. But I think I'm not going to get too far out here for both of us. It says, in our environment, we have responsibilities broad which overlap a lot. To me, the, uh, the front office now, or the front end is encompassing a great deal more, particularly as we're looking at the fact that the idea of insurance is a, strong, a very, very strong part of it, but a lot of the money coming in now is coming out of patients' pockets, cost share, if you would. So whose responsibility is to do that? A lot of it's the, the old traditional insurance. Now it's a joint share, front, front end, front office. Who's gonna have the contact with the patient on the phone? Choose your pre-service folks. So those responsibilities and descriptions should be very much entwined and they should be integrated because tomorrow something new could happen. So you need people to be able to have some core values in their job description along with the term responsibilities. So for instance, your job description says you're going to answer the phone, you're going to make appointments. Your responsibilities are to provide a positive encounter for that patient. Your responsibilities are to go over our financial policies, some of our online forms, our payment protocols, those type of things. So to me, they're very much integrated, but you're exactly right. Good value to that too. If you're bringing on new staff, you already have a system where they can learn some things too and see them. So it's part of a training process also. 
Does that help a little bit with that question? Yeah, that's what I was looking for, and it, and I think I'll I'll close with a with the with one of our tough tougher issues is, um, you know, occasionally we run into uh, the proverbial uh, round peg in a square hole. Um, you know, how do you, you know, how far do you take training and, and, and revamp or re-education of somebody before you decide they, they really don't belong in that position? You know, whether or not they belong in the office, but, you know, how... You know, those are those are tough calls, but ones that need to be made. Is there any guidance you can give people to kind of taking a look at when it's time to to essentially throw in the white towel and, and throw somebody else in that in that position? Yeah. Well, to be fair, I, I think that's a very germane point. Things did not get to the situation where they're calling us in overnight. It's usually driven by poor business practices and people not really performing at the level they're, they're supposed to be doing, to put it very, you know, diplomatically. So during the training sessions and the evaluation where we're looking at core problems and just speaking with the folks, it's been my experience, and, and I'll, I'll go right here along with yours, that they'll tell you pretty much that they don't do things, or they don't have to do things, or they don't have time to do things. When, if I hear one thing ad nauseum is, I don't have time. The problem is we all have time to do what's important, and when you do, don't do things, some, unfortunately, and there's no corrective action or penalty or enforcement, it becomes standard norm. So if I get away with it for two days and I don't do it and nobody's doing anything, by day three, it becomes normal. So whose fault's that? Is it the staff or is it management? It's both. So a lot of times we run into, there are some, certain folks that just can't excel enough to be part of the winning team. And it's probably better that they're, we people realize that they're demonstrating they simply can't or will not be able to perform at the level that allows the practice to collect them and adhere to their protocols and their management principles in line with their culture. Uh, we see that not infrequently. And uh, again, that's one of the values, I think, of having us come out there. It's difficult sometimes for people in-house to make those type of decisions and evaluations. Bring in some folks that we're used to seeing in IE, you or me, we can have a dialogue and say, let's try this and see if it works. If it doesn't, then there's other options you're going to have to look at. One person can really make a very strong team weak, the link, and it can be infectious some process. If people are allowed to get away with things, the other folks, the good people, will pick up the slack sometimes, but not consistently. So the point is you're making is sometimes we have to help them make decisions about retraining may be there, but if it's not going to work, then you're going to have to find some new staff, again, with some training too. Yeah. Rebuild the team. Yeah, and I, I, you know, I, it kind of ties it all back to the protocols and job descriptions that yes, if you've got those measuring tools to kind of show what those folks are doing and are not doing well, um, you know, if you, if you don't know, you don't know what you don't know. And if you don't track things, you don't know. So database decision-making, um, even with employees, is is doable and, and really the best way to go, I think, is what we've found. Would you agree? I would agree 100%. Uh, I think take that one step further is a lot of times when we're doing our outbriefs after doing a practice evaluation and assessment, folks, here's a lot of good things we're, we're seeing out here. Here's a core list of six things that are just not working that are really causing you some difficulties. And as you and I both know, it's going to be staffing issues, going to be communication issues and follow through. 
So, and again, if they have no protocols and, and Rito's design those, the folks can have actual guidance, written guidance, so they can see what the expectations are. Again, getting back to your job descriptions and the, the culture. But again, I, I think those are core issues. And again, I think the recurring theme that I'd probably end with is this. You, most of the practice run into trouble with their AR and processes because they have poor business practices and unenforceable management. So their performance is not going to be better. And if they need to fix those three or four things, sometimes it could be diff- difficult to do that in-house without bringing in some outside help to guide them, help build the protocols, help build the management structure, and at the same time, retool the practice. I mean, a lot of these things did not happen overnight. And again, retuning and retooling can take a little bit of time. In the meantime, we're there generally because they're having cash flow problems, and that's usually critical. So we're available to do the training places. We're available to do the assessment and evaluations. And as always, we're there to help hold their hands, build them, and partner with them as going forward as they're redoing the practice. Yeah, very good. Well, well, thanks, Larry. And, and hopefully, um, you know, you got a little bit of, of, of an insight as to, as to how we, we do things um, when we, we start working with practices to try and um, help them, uh, you know, plug the holes that, that often uh, develop over time, as Larry said. Um, you know, get some more goal-oriented and data-driven driven, driven approvals. And, and, you know, as Larry said, um, uh, you know, availability is there for some assistance, but hopefully we also gave you some, some tips and pointers to start looking at these things yourselves. Uh, and, of course, uh, you know, Larry and I are, are helpful, are, are, are available uh, to help you um, answer some questions and see if we can we can be of further assistance if 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 you want. Um, yes, yeah. Thank you very much, Larry. We really appreciate you coming on, and uh, you can uh, reach if you want to reach out to to Larry, uh, Mark. Please join our urology coding and reimbursement group at prsnetwork.com. and uh, you can go to for this episode if you want to check out the notes and see some more information about. Uh, kind of how to do how to uh, get in touch with us regarding any consulting or anything you heard and you want more information it'll be on uh, if you go to prsnetwork.com forward slash podcast and this is episode 12 so once again thanks larry we appreciate having you on and pleasure uh, scott thanks again and uh best of luck out there and stay safe for sure you too now have a good day now Thank you for listening to the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Podcast, where we help urologists and staff achieve peak economic and practice efficiency so there's time and energy to focus on patient care and a happy life. Special thanks to Carl Painter for the music today. You can find his music under his record label, The Juicery, with extra pulp and special guests.